Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, along with my co-host, Devin Dito. We're back at it. Saturday, weekly roundup number 23, November 20th. Plenty of news to get to, so let's get started, Devin. Um, we wanted to, listeners, start our first segment talking about the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict, because a lot of people have been talking about that. Obviously, we gave you some updates, but we want to talk a little bit about it as far as you know what happened. One reporter basically puts it that it set a precedent that permits individuals to claim self-defense in the most outrageous of cases. Obviously, with Kyle Rittenhouse claiming self-defense after killing people, um, so it says that, you know, the reporter goes on to say after uh, being found not guilty on all all counts, I think it was about seven, if I'm not mistaken, um, more than 24 hours of deliberations. Basically, he said it summed up in one phrase, which was white privilege. And it says too often that theme kind of resonates with white descendants on trial for killing you know, people of color. The other thing that they say is the fact that with the trial, it was a little biased for some viewers. Um, Rittenhouse was able to randomly select his 12 jurors from a hat, which Devin, I didn't even know. <laughs> that was even a thing, um, but apparently so. <laughs> That's and, new to uh, me too. I did not yeah, know that new- was part of the justice system. <laughs> I didn't either. I even saw the pictures of uh, the judge like sitting next to you know Kyle, like looking at some stuff. I was just like, I'm never seeing. I was like, am I watching like you know how to get away with murder or you know scandal or something? I just it just things it just fell off. Yeah. yeah, even the I think they said the his phone rang and you know played God bless America or something. He was trying to make a bunch of jokes and all that kind of stuff. I mean, even I think he made a a joke about Asian food and some people got offended by that. So, yes. I don't know, Devin. It was definitely a kind of an odd trial, but I don't think the whole fact of claiming self def- self defense should have been anything that you know he could have used. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, you know, I think to some people it's a complicated case, to others it's cut and dry, where, you know, I mean, the fact of the matter is, I thought he was probably going to get off from the beginning just because of the video and the whole narrative of self defense. And they, I mean, the fact was they were chasing him. Now, how they got to that point is, you can, you know, put that together, but they were chasing him and he, you know, fell to the ground. One of the guys did have a gun and he, he uses his rifle and he shot him. And I just think, yes, it probably would have been different had the defendant in this case been a black person who, say, for instance, went to the January 6th insurrection and got into, you know, a part, you know, got, you know, provoked by somebody in the crowd at the insurrection and shot and killed somebody. I just don't think this case would have played out like that. It was pretty obvious that this was kind of decided. You could see just the way the judge was acting, um, really protecting Kyle um, during this case. And like you say, it just, it just seemed like the whole thing was going in his favor, was biased in his favor. And you know, a lot of people were shocked. Some people, a lot of people were not surprised, but still disappointed. But like you say, it's just, you know, more evidence that the justice system works for some, but not for others, at least not in the way that we want it to. And so I just think you would have gotten a different outcome with somebody of a different hue in the courtroom. But we'll we'll move on from that. And we'll go to our next story here. So there's a lot of news happening this week. So outside of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, Congress is still uh, still working as we get closer to Thanksgiving and the House now has passed the $2 trillion spending bill, or a.k.a. the Build Back Better plan. The House voted on near party lines Friday morning to approve a roughly $2 trillion uh, social and climate spending package, which ends months of squabbles among Democrats over the details of this bill. The vote was 220 to 213 with one Democrat, uh, Representative Jared Golden of Maine, who joined all Republicans in voting no on the bill, uh, and just to give you a little bit of what's in there, the spending is mostly offset by taxes, supposedly. And we will cover what's in that bill and how it's being funded in a later episode. Um, so, we'll, of course, we'll give you an update with that. But it looks like the next step for the Build Back Better plan is the Senate, where we'll see, you know, if Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema get on board and let it pass or if it fails. So, I don't know, Adrian, high stakes here for the Biden team. This is essentially... His his entire agenda in one bill. So if it doesn't pass, that would be a huge failure for not only the president, but also for the Democratic Party as a whole. 
you know, Devin, um, looking at probability and looking at odds, I'd say it's in his favor because so far he's, you know, two, he's gotten two big things passed. I mean, the, the American jobs plan or whatever that, that was part American of the COVID. Yeah, yeah. American rescue plan. And then now the infrastructure plan. So, I mean, if, you know, if, if, <laughs> he might, he might pull a, uh, what is it called? A hat trick on us. I mean, yeah. he just, he just might. I, I hats off to him for sure. And I hope he can succeed because he is really trying to promote diversity and inclusion within all of his policies. So that's great. Um, speaking about diversity and inclusion, all American adults are now eligible for a coronavirus booster shot. And this is following director Rochelle Walensky signing off on the recommendation. Remember, she's the director of the CDC uh, effectively immediately tens of millions of people um, who are at least six months past or Pfizer or Moderna shot are eligible for a booster dose. And this actually came out yesterday. So um, nice to know that you can go ahead and get that. Um, President Biden has been saying that he wants to have boosters by uh, by September. So, you know, a couple months off. But if you would like to go get a COVID booster shot, you can go get one now. So Devin, I, I might need to go get mine. Yeah, no, I I might get one too. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely look and see uh, see how this Delta variant behaves during the the winter months. But we'll move from the, uh, booster shots. We're going to go to Texas now, South Lake, Texas. We've mentioned this city before, but it looks like now they are going to be under federal investigation. So uh, the school district in South Lake, Texas, is now the subject of it, an investigation on civil rights violations. And this is according to NBC. They report that the Carroll Independent School District was notified in November that three investigations were ongoing due to complaints about discrimination against students based on their race, gender and national origin. And so the district, like I said, has been the epicenter of media attention in the past year with numerous political battles over school programs, books and curricula that center on race, gender and sexuality. And so. Uh, some of the curricula has reportedly been misbranded under the umbrella of critical race theory. No surprise there. And Southlake, um, just to give you some background here, Southlake is a diversifying Dallas-Fort uh, Worth uh, suburb. So, uh, again, Adrian, it kind of encapsulates what we were talking about with Janelle as far as critical race theory and how it's being used as this umbrella term for a bunch of things that people are uncomfortable with being taught in school. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the results of this investigation um, actually are, what they uncover. I agree, especially when you have allegations of discrimination based on race, gender, national origin. I mean, that's um, that's some pretty tough stuff there. (laughs) Um, But to kind of keep us in the realm of education, um, you know, Devin lives in Mississippi, lives in Texas. So we always talk about Texas a lot and we're from Mississippi. So we always got to get a little Mississippi in here. Um, the Mississippi School Board Association is joining a handful of other states and breaking ties with the National School Board Association after the national group sent a letter to President Biden asking for federal support, investigating harassment and threats of violence against school board members. Mississippi is working with other school board associations and other states to form a new organization. Local school boards across the country have become political battlegrounds over issues such as COVID mask rules, the treatment of transgender students, and how to teach the history of racism and slavery in America. This is according to AP. And it's interesting, Devin, because I think we've had episodes on uh, all of that. And we've kind of talked about, you know, the treatment of transgender students with sports and bathrooms. We've talked about masking. We've talked about you know, CRT. And we're going to continue, like, like, you know, listeners, you didn't get to hear this because we were on, the, you know, talking off the podcast. But critical race theory is going to be an issue that people are going to run on, whether it's a school board president, a city council member, a mayor, governor. People are going to continue to run on this. Uh, and the Democrats have to get ahead of this because, I mean, you got people who are breaking away from an association just because the association wrote a letter to the president saying, hey, we've got death threats being you know sent to our members can you help us out you know can you do stuff with masking can you do stuff with vaccines but you got states like mississippi and ohio who feel that the national organization can't you know mandate and dictate and do things for us like we're individual we have unique needs and that's why we need a new organization no i think <laughs> it just goes to show you you know covid really has 
changed the priorities of the country and has uncovered a lot of things that we kind of knew were bubbling underneath the surface with how things, how our schools were being operated. And really school boards and schools in general have become the new battleground. Like you said in the story, they are now political battlegrounds over mass, how, you know, teaching racism and slavery uh, and, and the treatment of transgender students. Like all of this is coming to a head during the pandemic. And now you're seeing, because I mean, understand folks may not have known who, who was on their school board or the power that school boards actually have until we got to COVID when they were instituting and deciding how your, how your kids were going to learn. Were they going to be in the classroom? They were going to be out the classroom. If they were going to be in school, were they going to have to wear a mask? Like all of that was being determined by these school boards that are supposed to be in equal representation of people, you know, in the community. But what you're saying is like, this has become, you know, high, you know, high dollar campaigns. Like I was listening to a podcast yesterday where in, I think in Pennsylvania, they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on school board races. They're not, these are not Senate races. These are not congressional candidates, school board races where, you know, very little money is usually spent in these things where now you're talking $200,000 is being spent on school board races in Pennsylvania. It's probably more than that, actually. And they're being funded by one person who is, you know, painting himself as a as a concerned parent. And I mean, they're putting massive amounts of money, you know, supporting. And, and it's, it's maybe this is a coincidence, but the guy who's putting all this money in is only supporting Republican candidates. He's saying he's only supporting people who are anti-mask. But it just so happens that the, all the anti-maskers happen to be Republican uh, school board candidates. And so. You know, this is going to transform a lot of the country as far as how we look and how we look at our schools and who's operating them. The school board has a lot of power. And right now, like you say, Democrats, you better get ahead of this. If you're if you have children and they're in public school, you better figure out who's on your school board and who's up for election next year, because there are probably going to be some national groups coming in, big money donors who are going to be trying to put money behind people that are going to be deciding how your children are going to learn and what they're going to learn next year. So just, you know, we'll do an episode on it, but it's, it's, it's a big deal now. That's right. I was just going to say as a disclaimer, but uh, Devin hit it. We are going (laughs) to touch on that. And another disclaimer, if you've thought about running for school board, now might be a really good time to do that, particularly if you yes. care about the integrity of the education of those in your community and future generations to come. So I uh, just wanted to do that before Devin hits this next story. <laughs> yeah, so um, I will move on. So we'll go from school boards to uh, the American Psychological Association has issued an apology here. So the American Psychological Association has issued a detailed statement owning up to and apologizing for not only its role in perpetuating systemic racism in the U.S., but for the role of the field of psychology as a whole that it has played in systemically denigrating people of color for decades. Now, the statement reads, quote, in addition, recognizing that many existing historical records and narratives have been centered in whiteness, APA also concluded that it was imperative to compare, to capture oral history and the lived experiences of communities of color. So it so commissioned a series of listening sessions and surveys, which also informed this resolution. And so it also uh, wrapped up here with saying these resolutions are just the first steps in a long process of reconciliation and healing. So again, big words on paper. We'll see what the actions are. Hopefully there's some real tangible things that come out of this, but at least it is you know good to see them admit that the field of psychology has played a role in, um, you know, some of the systemic racism and discrimination that we saw directed towards people of color. Absolutely. And it made me think, what if other, you know, institutions like maybe of academia in general, like, you know, colleges or uh, maybe you have some sort of banking association or you know you have some sort of housing association because there's, there's so many different institutions who've discriminated against us to the point to where um you know we could get a little bit of an apology to say you know hey let's um you know let's do something for the black people but uh 
<laughs> just to end uh, on another good note here, and we always like to keep something positive about our HBCUs, uh, a Spelman graduate, Claudia Walker, she's actually uh, written a book. It's called The ABCs of HBCUs, just to introduce households to an extra element of learning, because as Devin and I have talked about, people don't know about HBCUs. So just wanted to point that out about Claudia because we did an HBCU awareness series. And just remember, that's on YouTube. You can go catch 10 interviews of HBCUs where we've talked to a lot of great leaders there. Um, So make sure you go to our YouTube page so you can check it out. But we're going to go ahead and end our first segment here and we're going to give you a nice break. Enjoy the music and we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda podcast. We appreciate your support, and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, IG, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So let's get back into our second segment here. So we always start with a quick update. So we have a couple updates to some stories we reported on earlier this season. So the first one here is uh, about the Travis Scott Astro World Festival. We've told you there are hundreds of lawsuits coming, and there are more. We have more to report. So uh, again, if you don't know, the Travis Scott themed Astro World Festival earlier this month um, saw ten people sustain injuries that killed them. And also saw 165 lawsuits be filed on behalf of attendees who lost their lives or were hurt. The festival uh, featured Canadian rapper Drake also. And now they are now facing a $2 billion lawsuit that was filed by a San Antonio-based attorney. He filed that lawsuit on behalf of 282 victims. So the legal troubles will keep coming for Travis Scott and Drake. Um, our next update here is you may have heard about this. So. Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt has granted clemency to Julius Jones, um, commuting his death sentence just hours before he was scheduled to be executed for a 1999 murder that he says he did not commit. Uh, Jones's sentence will be commuted to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And this was according to an executive order filed on Thursday. So just a couple of updates there to let you know what's happening um, out in the world that we have previously reported on. Yeah, Devin, that's some good stuff. Uh, listeners, I hope you like our quick updates. We always, uh, we just, that's a new thing that we just incorporated this season. So make sure you post a comment, let us know how you like that. But yeah, Devin, to uh, move us to another story and listeners, we always like to get some international news in here. And we're going to be talking a little bit about China. Uh, tennis pros and politicians are demanding action against China as doubts continue to grow over the safety and well-being of a missing world-class doubles champion, Ping Shui. Stars Naomi Osaka, Serena Williams, and Chris Everett are among those speaking out. The hashtags, hash, the hashtag where is Ping Shui trended on Twitter this week. Ping, who's 35, wrote a post in Wallabo, a Chinese social media platform, alleging sexual abuse she suffered at the hands of China's former vice premier, Zhang Yuo. Ping claimed Zhang, 75, forced her to have sex despite repeated refusals following a round of tennis three years ago. The post was quickly deleted and Ping has since disappeared from social media and public view. Tennis players and officials led by the Women's Tennis Association CEO Steve Simon are demanding a full investigation to Ping's claims as well as assurances of her safety and well-being. Man, that's that's a lot. You know, I that's why I'm so thankful that we live in a democratic society that even though people can be racist and prejudiced, and I mean, I get it in cases like Ahmaud Arbery, they can just fight out, kill us in broad daylight. Usually in a democratic society, you don't have stuff like this. I mean, this is like, you know, you know, Russia and, and China, you know, where they're just abducting people because, you know, they they can. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, that's essentially because they can. <laughs> you know, China essentially has a dictator now with uh, Xi Jinping not having term limits. And it is like you say, it's scary where she just put a message up telling her story and experience. And now she's gone. We don't know where she is. And this happened during COVID, too, with a lot of the doctors who were reporting the fact that, there was a virus going around and the government didn't want them to be doing that. So a lot of these people who reported the early COVID cases in China disappeared. And so that just 
seems to be the Chinese way of doing things. So hopefully she is actually okay. But we'll, of course, update you if we do get any new information um, with that. So we're going to move from that story to come back across the water. We're going to go to Memphis, Tennessee, where police uh, continue to investigate the Wednesday shooting death of Memphis, Memphis rapper Young Dolph. Uh, the high-profile rapper, whose real name is Adolph Thornton Jr., was shot and killed inside Makita's Homemade Butter Cookies on North Airways Boulevard in Memphis, which is a bakery that uh, Young Dolph frequented on his, his visits home. Uh, witnesses even documented the aftermath of the shooting on social media and identified uh, the rapper's camouflage Corvette that was parked in front of Makita's. Um, on Thursday, Memphis police released photos of two alleged shooters and the vehicle that they actually left in. And so just to top this off here, his killing has intensified cries against violence in the Memphis area, which has really been through it. Uh, they have seen high profile shootings at a K through eight school, a post office and a grocery store all within the last two months. And uh, Memphis has already seen 255 killings this year, uh, which is already surpassing 2020, which had 244 killings. And so, um, Adrian, you know, it's just a sad story. He was only 36 and, you know, I didn't know him very well, but it seems like as though he was active in the community, always giving back. And as you just hate to see a, a young life, yes, 36 is still young, get cut short like that. And especially at the hands of the people in your own neighborhood, your own hometown, you probably helped these people at some point. And it's just, you hate to see it. And, um, this is something we've seen play out across the country with the gun violence, and in our communities just seems to be at an all time high. And I don't know what we need to do. You know, after last year, I, I don't know what's what is the answer here. <laughs> There's definitely some frustration. Yeah. And, you know, I listeners, I lived in Memphis for three years, actually. Um, so I, I know I'm familiar with the area. I'm even familiar with Makita's. Uh, the cookies are amazing. Uh, and I think about, you know, the, the trauma of, cause she's, I, I feel like she's still in her teenage years. Um, so I mean, the trauma that she's going through with being a young entrepreneur and having someone murdered in, you know, in her store and, you know, just the loss that the community has and the loss that, uh, young Dolph's family has. I mean, that's, Memphis is a, it's, it can, it, you know, there was a lot going on when I lived in Memphis. I mean, it's, it's, it's a metropolitan area. I mean, and from Memphis to Baltimore, Chicago, to LA, it's lots of places, you know, have this crime. Um, and a lot of places have this gun violence. So that's why there's been a lot of pushes listeners for some reform, uh, in guns and, and, you know, uh, community policing, because there's, you know, the pol- community policing aspect, listeners, isn't all about police. It's about intervention, which, you know, stops some of these things before they escalate in the community. Uh, it's about having people who can mitigate and, you know, report when things are, are popping off. I mean, it's, it's a lot of different elements. So, um, you know, definitely prayers, uh, for the Memphis community there and, and, and hope to get some resolution. But to uh, take us to another story here, um, two of the three men convicted of killing Malcolm X will have their convictions thrown out following a lengthy investigation into who killed the civil rights leader. The development follows a 22-month investigation to the case that was conducted by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office and the Innocence Project, which represents the two men. Two men, uh, Muhammad A. Aziz and Khalid Islam, uh, investigators found that prosecutors, the FBI and the New York police department withheld key evidence that would have led them to being able to quit the men. And this is according to the New York times. Islam and Aziz maintain that maintain their innocence, but were convicted despite the lack of physical evidence and conductory uh, testimony of several eyewitnesses. The men spent decades in prison Looks like Aziz is 83, uh, was released in 1985. Islam was released in 1987 and died in 2009. So uh, unfortunately for the latter, you know, he's just going to get you know more of a, a memory as far as, you know, his conviction being thrown out. And the 83-year-old, that's tough to have spent, you know, decades in prison. I and mean, we've seen that a lot in our community with, mm-hmm. you know, African-Americans. 
And it's like, you know, the prison system will be like, oh, well, we'll give you some money and um, <laughs> we'll give you, we'll make sure you and get a, a house. And, right. And I'm just like, but I'm just like, you, you, you took years away from me and you just want to give me some money. I can't like use this money to build a time machine and go back and get all those years. I mean, it's so, I mean, it's you know good that they did it, but yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, it is. And it just goes more to the point of what people already thought, which is that the FBI was likely behind the killing of Malcolm X in the first place. And so this was more proof that they probably were involved because the men that they convicted were not guilty of uh, the charges. And so we'll update that story. Hopefully there is some movement there. I doubt the FBI is going to you know, admit that they did it, but um, it is good to see that those two men got their names cleared. Um, but our next story here we're going to go up to Ohio State. So we're going to go from go to college here. So the Ohio State University is announcing a new debt free program for their students. And so the university is going to offer undergraduate students a chance to graduate debt free after four years under an initiative announced Friday by the school's president. Um, and so the program, which begins with a small pilot next year, will cover tuition room and board, fees, and books, and it has an estimated cost of about $100 million a year once it's fully implemented at the end of 10 years. And so uh, Ohio State is planning an $800 million fundraising campaign to help cover that amount. And for their part, students will commit to graduating within four years and take part in financial literacy instruction. And so students or their families must fill out financial forms each year. And just to let you know, just why they're even doing this, just under half of Ohio State students graduate with debt, with an average debt of $27,000. And this was based on last year's class. And so, uh, Adrian, that's an interesting, you know, great program that, I, you know, that they're testing out. Hopefully other universities can find a way to create these sort of programs. We saw, you know, last, uh, during the spring semester, a lot of HBCUs were announcing at the end of the graduation ceremony that the students were going to graduate, you know, debt free. They were going to forgive their uh, tuition and things like that. But it's good to see, you know, maybe I guess you can call the private sector trying to find some ways to alleviate the student debt problem. And hopefully this is something other universities copy. Absolutely, Devin. And, you know, I was thinking, um, I was trying to um, calculate something here. Uh, Elon Musk, I think he's worth like $300 billion. And I was looking at the cost of this, you know, this fundraising, you know, 800 million. And if you look at like percentage, um, you know, 800 million as a percentage of 300 billion, it's very, very small. It's like 0.03. I mean, it's, it's real, real, real tiny. A fraction. <laughs> it's fra- it's a fraction. And whenever I think about stuff like this, I'm just like, like I, I'm not like I'm not, I'm not like a dictator, or a communist, and I think that people like the government has the power to strip wealth and redistribute. It. I'm not saying that, but I just wish people were more altruistic to where they could be like, oh, I've got all this money instead of building rockets to get off the earth, <laughs> let me, let me just use it to help out Ohio state and all these other HBCUs and universities and different things so that mm-hmm. no kid has to worry about that. Because if it only costs a hundred million a year for people to not have to worry about books, tuition, room board, you know, a meal plan. And we've got 700 billionaires who make annually over you know a hundred million a year, come on! Like like I said, I'm not saying that once I get in office, I'm going to be trying to do all of this sorts of things. But I'm not saying that I'm not going to do those either. So we'll you know to be continued on that part because <laughs> we've got too much wealth, Devin, within our country for there to be so much inefficiency. No, that's a, that's an excellent point, and I just you know. As that that wealth inequality grows, you're going to get more of those conversations of, you know, when you say it's 0.003% of somebody's, you know, wealth is what Ohio State is trying to do by giving people, you know, giving their students debt-free college. It just seems like our priorities are out of whack of what we should be trying to do and help people 
And like you say, it's not going to, I mean, I'm not going to say you're not going to miss a billion dollars, but those who have the wealth, we, in our opinion, could be doing more and helping out with individual projects instead of waiting for the federal government to come in. I would say that they're not going to miss that. If, 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 if you've got $283 billion in your net worth, and if someone was like, let me just get one of those billion and you've got 282 billion. I get it. Come on. Like, and and I get like the argument from people who have that level of income who say, well, you don't, you don't have that. So you don't know how much that is that that could be a lot to them. That could be them selling off multiple homes and houses and things like that. Because if you remember listeners, we reported on this with Jeff Bezos, when we did the taxation episode, you know, his salary was only like $80,000 a year, but because of his ability to use his net worth to do personal loans, he can live a life of luxury because he can use all of that, you know, stocks and stuff like that as collateral to get these big old personal loans that, you know, you and I, we can't, we ain't got no collateral like Jeff Bezos no. to say we got, you know, all these, we got Amazon and you, know, you got, you don't have that. So, uh, interesting story, Devin. Um, but to uh, take us on you know, before we get to our break here, this is coming out of Lansing, Michigan. Michigan State University football coach Mel Tucker may become the highest paid coach in the Big Ten and among the highest paid black coaches in sports. The Spartans, who are reportedly preparing to offer Tucker an historic $95 million 10-year contract extension, according to the Detroit Free Press. University sources have confirmed that the deal is in the works. According to the report, MSU alumni Matt Ishaba and Steve St. Andrew will donate private funding to the university to make the raise happen. Man, that's awesome when you got people who are willing to give money to a university just to make sure you, you know, have a raise. I'm, I'm like, that's when you know you're doing a good job. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> We know as alumni, you only donate back to things that you really care about. So he might, he's doing an awesome job, though. He's definitely deserving. What's the um, record? Do you know? Uh, I know they've. I think they've only lost one game, maybe two. They just beat Michigan, and so I think they beat Michigan and then lost to Purdue. So I know they at least have one loss, but they're in contention to be in the college football playoff. And he's only been there two years. So he's he's doing an awesome job for sure. He's the turnaround is on, you know, is happening. So they're happy um, and they want to keep him. So you want to keep somebody like that. You got to pay. <laughs> so. Absolutely. And we all know, especially been from the SEC, that uh, football programs bring in a lot of money. Wow. So yes. the better your program is, the more money you got to bring in. Absolutely. So Michigan State is doing the right thing. So we're going to do the right thing and give you another break. And then when we come back, we're going to get into our quick hits. It's real funny. So make sure you stick with us. We'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to a scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right. Welcome back, listeners. So let's get into our quick hits here. So our first one here is going to be about probably something we've all envisioned happening and trying to think about what we would do. But if you were driving down the highway and you saw a Brinks truck having money fly out the back of it, what would you actually do? And that's what happened in Southern California, where there was drivers scrambling to grab cash Friday morning after bags of money fell out of an armored truck on a Southern California highway. The incident occurred around 915 in the morning on Interstate 5 in Carlsbad, California, as the truck was going from San Diego to uh, in a federal deposit insurance corp uh, building, and so several bags broke open, spreading money money on the on the highway. It was mainly one dollar bills and twenty dollar bills, and it was all over the lanes and bringing the highway the freeway to a chaotic halt. Video was posted online showed some people laughing and leaping as they held wads of cash. But and this is the the caveat with this: two people were actually arrested at the scene. And, and the police uh, officer who they talked to said that any others who are found have taken money could actually face criminal charges. So if this does happen to you, I don't know, you want to maybe wear a mask or something, 
where you can try to look incognito, change your tags or something so they can't identify you. But if you did take any money from this uh, Carlsbad truck, you may want to take it back because you might be on camera somewhere and could face some charges. You know, Devin, I was sitting here, you know, I'm, I'm not too bad of a person, but if I saw just money on a highway, I probably would take some. And I was just sitting oh, here thinking about the process. And I had thought about, you know, putting on a mask or something like that to make sure you look incognito. But I think the caveat or the thing that's going to backfire is those bills are probably, you know, have a certain, you know, serial number or coding on it or whatever mm-hmm. to where if you use that bill, they probably could trace it and know that this bill was supposed to be in this armored vehicle and you're using it. So you, you know, so I'm sure there's probably a way, cause I think money, I'm sure there's probably a, a, a tracking on money. So not tracking system, but you know, they might be marked different numbers. Like yeah. Right. Yeah. The different numbers that are on bills. So I'd be cautious, but Hey, if you got the money, um, spend it fast, spend it on the black market. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't, don't take it to the bank and try to deposit. Just, you know, spend it to the local drug dealer or, you know, watch the, it, the bootlegger or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> or you could be like the next uh, story that we're going to talk about a group that got together to crowdfund for the first edition of the U.S. Constitution. And I will admit, Devin, I really, really like early American history, even though they really didn't like black people. I really did like this part. I don't think I would have been a part of a crowdfund for the Constitution. I could just look at it on the Internet. But. This was an unprecedented crowdfunding attempt to buy the U.S. Constitution. Unfortunately, they did not get it. It fell short on Thursday. The group was made up of about 17,000 people. The group was called Constitution DOA. They actually uh, get this, Devin. They raised $40 million in a matter of days thanks to donations of strangers who mainly said they liked the somatic works of Nicolas Cage, you know, remember, you know, National Treasure. Uh, <laughs> the Constitution sold for $43.2 million, setting a new record for the most ever paid for a book, historical document, or printed text, according to Sitheby's, which handed the, which handled the sale. The winning bid more than doubled the top estimate of $20 million, while uh, $20 million the Constitution had expected to garner. So, again, I don't think I would have ever, you know, paid, you know, anywhere near this amount for uh, a document, but... Hey, if you can have collective unity, um, there you go. I mean, that's another another thing, another reason why we should have some black unity. We can raise millions of dollars together. Exactly. It just makes you think like all the things we could do, if we could raise $40 million in a matter of days. Like we could get some real, some real work done. So that was a or pretty- constitution. <laughs> or a constitution. <laughs> but that was a, that's a pretty cool story, but um, we'll move on to our next story here. So for those of you who like to decorate your homes and put up your Christmas decorations as soon as Halloween is over or earlier than, say, Thanksgiving, then this story is for you. There's actually a Florida family who's in trouble with their homeowners association for putting up their Christmas lights too early. So the Moffa family hired a company to decorate their yard um, in Tampa Bay on November 6th. And so a few days later, they received a letter notifying them that they now face a fine for violating their HOA agreement. And it said if they don't remove the lights, they could actually face fines of $100 a day up to $1,000. And so the Moffa family uh, said that they have no plans to remove the lights. An attorney for the West Chase Community Association said a neighbor actually complained about the display. And Ellis said that the rules are in place to be followed We said the board is open to discussing changes, but right now the family is saying the association has not been receptive to any changes after they offered to even keep the lights off until Thanksgiving. So there you go. For those people who like to creep past Thanksgiving and put up your decorations early, it could actually cost you some real money. (laughs) Yeah. And I guarantee you the Mofa family, they they must've spent more than a thousand dollars on their decorations. Oh, you know it. (laughs) Cause obviously they don't care about spending up to a thousand dollars in fines. Cause they're probably spent two, three, four times that in the decorations. So it's an opportunity (laughs) cost for them. That's funny. But um, yeah, make sure if you do live where there's a homeowners association, you might want to check your rules before you start decorating. 
And there's, and I just I know we gotta moving on, but no, there fine. should be a fine for anyone who plays Mariah Carey's song, who, whoever plays Mariah Carey's Christmas song before Thanksgiving. There should be a fine for those people too. No, I agree. I I, I'll take I that. definitely <laughs> I definitely think you need to save Christmas till December. Like, yes, like please, like keep like make sure you keep your house like in the fall festive kind of mood for Thanksgiving. Make sure you you have all the leaves and stuff for Thanksgiving at the holidays, but. After that, December first, then that's when you start putting up all your Christmas stuff. But do what you want, get fine, doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but to take us to another story overseas, and this isn't as funny. I saw this, and I was just is another thing where I was like, man, I'm glad you know, not, like not being in a communistic country. Glad to not be in a country where you got to worry about this kind of stuff. Three people are dead and hundreds are injured after inclement weather roused hordes of venomous scorpions out of their hiding places and streets. Vicious rains, dust storms, and snow in the southern city of Ashwin last week drove out scorpions as well as snakes. The government has actually told people to stay inside. Um, Like I said, three people have died from scorpion stings and 450 people have been injured. In the meantime, most residents, like I said, are being encouraged to stay inside. Uh, the government has, the governor rather, has also limited traffic for a time, closing local highways to prevent accidents during limited mobility in the rain. Scorpion stings are very lethal. The Egyptian fat-tailed scorpion, a species found mainly throughout northern Africa, in particular has been described as one of the most deadly in the world. And this is according to the St. Louis Zoo. So, again, Devin, like I said, not a funny story, but... It's crazy to think that because of like rain and dust storms and snow, you got to worry about scorpions like coming into your community and snakes. Oh, and I get the snakes because I mean we get we have to deal with snakes, but scorpions. I'm like, oh, they're small; yeah, no. they can just get in anywhere. I'm like, Ugh. I'd be packing up, <laughs> moving out. <laughs> I'm not living with that. Sorry, you said I can do snakes, I can do spiders, maybe. But when you talk about scorpions and you put an S on it, no, nope, it's it's time to go. We'll have to stay in a <laughs> hotel until they figure that out. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but we'll go to our next story here. We're going to go to Washington D.C. And I saw this on Twitter, and I laughed at. It. I thought it was pretty funny. But um, Twitter was was talking about this reporter in Washington D.C. who probably did the most over-the-top vandalism segment you've ever seen. So the extremely dramatic telling of a local news story by a veteran uh, Washington uh, news reporter sent Twitter kind of into a frenzy of people laughing at it. And uh, his name is Pat Collins, and he works for NBC4 in uh, Washington, D.C., and he went out into the field this week to take a deep dive into a case of mistaken identity where a woman's car was vandalized by someone who was apparently very angry with the man named Mike, who was also a cheater. And so they wrote on this woman's car, Mike is a cheater, thinking this was Mike's car. And they spray painted the woman's car and the side mirrors were also snapped off and the front and back windshields were smashed too. Um, But the reporter, Pat Collins, actually had a little message for Mike, I guess you could say. And here's a clip of what he actually said. Mike, 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 Mike. See what you've done. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are. But you may want to start changing your ways. Or changing your name. Very, very dramatic. Like, if you watch this on video, I, I urge you to go look it up. Because it is hilarious. He he did it. He performed this thing like it was a spoken word. At a, like a club. Like, it was so dramatic. And Mike... If you're out there, man, get it together because you're causing other people some heartache out there. But uh, he actually spoke to the lady whose car was vandalized. She said she did not know Mike. He even asked her. He was like, is your name Mike? Have you ever gone out with somebody named Mike? Do you know anybody named Mike? And she said no to everything. Uh, But thankfully, the woman said her insurance company is going to take care of it. Um, So there you go. If you're you're out there and and you're doing dirt, just know... (laughs) Just know it's going to come back to haunt you and you could actually end up on the news. Um, I hope I'm never mistaken for anybody, you know, who's cheating out there. Hopefully nobody comes right Devin on my car. <laughs> you get the wrong person. 
you know, that it happens. You never know. There's, there's a lot of Devons. I mean, just like there's a lot of mics and stuff like that. So you never know. <laughs> I wonder who the person who did it, what are they thinking right now? Because they technically made the news. Like the person who vandalized the car, like you made the news, you picked the wrong car. Like, don't you feel terrible? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, I, I guess the good thing is that, you know, I don't, I don't think, you know, any like, uh, car wasn't key, tires weren't slashed or anything like that. You know, at least with the riding, you can just kind of, you know, clean that off. So at least they didn't go to the max or something like that and, you know, start busting out windows <laughs> and like, stuff like well, that. Well, they like, did smash the, the front and back windshield. So they did. Oh, they that. did. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, I didn't, I didn't see that part, but well, I guess I, I take that back then. Um, yeah. So never mind. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, make sure you make sure you get the right car so that way you don't you know but uh to take us to another story and in, in in our quick hits here this is uh interesting here uh farmers are turning uh cow poo into power with batteries created from the cow pat the rechargeable batteries as they're calling it could be a big part of britain's renewable energy solution as one kilogram of cow poo can produce 3.75 kilowatts of electricity, which is enough uh, energy to vacuum for, which is enough power for a vacuum cleaner for five hours or uh, 3.5 hours of ironing. So, you know, I don't, I don't really know how that, you know, translates to everyday people, but you know, I don't think anybody's vacuuming for five hours or ironing that long. But hey, uh, <laughs> Dairy Cooperative Era, which developed batteries. Uh, with battery expert GP Batteries claim the energy created from the waste of a single cow could actually help three households for a year. So that's that's kind of cool. Uh, the farmers are constantly exploring innovative solutions and following our poo-powered trans, uh, transport trials last year. It's clear that they have scratched the surface. So I guess they're going to continue to use more cow poo for other things. I think they were saying that you can use a, a cow slurry, which I don't know exactly what that is, um, but that's another component of yeah. what they're trying. I, I don't know if that's like something from like, you know, whatever the cow like throws up or, or maybe it's like diarrhea. Or I, I don't know what it is, but apparently you can use cow poop for, for energy. So there you go. Poo power, huh? <laughs> that's right. Poo power. Poo power. <laughs> I coined the term. I need to go trademark that. <laughs> Poo power. No. <laughs> but that is a cool story. Um, so, man, hey, that could be the future, man. Poo, you know, cow poo could be powering our homes. At least, hey, it's Everyone's, renewable, right? It's, it, it could be a part of the Green New Deal. So, you know, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's going to be the way AOC is going to uh, regulate cows. She's got a only way you can have cows is if you use their poo for batteries. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right, listeners, we're going to give you another break, though, so we can go ahead and do our ending. As always, we got to give you a look into the future. So make sure you stick with us. We'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So, as always, like Adrian said, we want to give you a look forward into the future. So, Coming up to you, uh, Thanksgiving week, so today is Saturday, and coming up on Tuesday, November 23rd, that'll be our episode about the Black Diet. Uh, that's going to feature Christina Johnson, who is a non-diet registered dietitian based in Dallas, Texas. We figured this would be a timely episode since Thanksgiving is just going to be two days away after this episode comes out, so why not talk about the food we're going to be eating? And so we know Black people have a special relationship with food. And that's why we're going to be talking about the current state of the black diet and what that really means. And so tune in for that. That's going to be all about the uh, black diet coming to you Tuesday, November 23rd. And then after that, so our next weekly roundup is not going to be Saturday after Black Friday. It's actually going to be Saturday, December 4th. We're going to take a small break here and enjoy the holiday like you all. And so we're going to be back with you uh, Saturday, December 4th for weekly roundup number 24. And that'll be getting us pretty close to the end of this season. So make sure you tune in for that. 
for more news, quick hits, funny news, weird news. We'll have it all. Uh, and that'll be Saturday, December 4th. So the next weekly roundup will be next month. <laughs> so make sure you put that on your calendar and don't forget to tune in. Also, it's holiday season. We're getting close to Christmas. So maybe donating to some organizations. And one of them you're listening to, you should actually think about donating to us. And so AJ is going to let you know how you can do that. Absolutely. Um, one of the reasons you should probably donate to us is because the supply chain is like all up in the air. So you might not get all the goods you you know are looking for anyway. So instead of sitting there complaining, um, just use that money for something else, like donating to the Black Agenda so that you can continue to um, hear some great news, hear great conversations. But not only that, you can help us to build our organization um, Dev and I, we always talk about the future and what we're wanting to do with the organization. And we're going to do some great things, whether it be the lobbying, whether it be the foundation, whether it be our news and media group. We're going to have a lot going on, but that's not going to be possible without you. So go to our website, blackagendapod.com. If you're listening to us in the Podbean app, there's also a donate button right there as you're watching or listening. Um, if you click on it, you'll see different levels. I think there's about five in there, or maybe even more. You get stuff from us. So you give to me and Devin, we give you back, you give you stuff back. So make sure you go check us out there. Like I said, blackagendapod.com, click the donate tab and start giving. The other thing we want to mention is our charity of the month. Remember, November is National Diabetes Awareness Month, and we wanted to recognize an organization that's fighting against the disease, the American Diabetes Association. Their vision is a life free of diabetes and its burdens. Their mission is to prevent and cure diabetes and to improve the lives of all people affected by diabetes. So as we all say, rather, as we always say around this part, um, diabetes affects us. You know, that's why we're going to be talking about it during the Black Diet episode. It's a big thing. So make sure you check them out. Give to them. But before you give to them, give to us not to you know be selfish, but. Um, they've got like 565,000 volunteers and, you know, it's just me and Devin. So, um, you know, the underdog usually wins. <laughs> Everybody loves a good underdog story, right? <laughs> but before we get out of here, after you are finished donating to both us and the National Diabetes, um, uh, American Diabetes Association, make sure you go to Facebook, Twitter or Instagram Type in at Black Agenda Pod, and that's going to be our handle. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Again, our handle is at Black Agenda Pod. Uh, we're also on YouTube as well. So if you go to YouTube, type in the Black Agenda Podcast, uh, you'll see a bunch of great conversations about, like Adrian named it earlier, we have an episode about critical race theory with a professor from Georgetown um, University who was actually teaching it. So Great conversation with her. Her name was Janelle George. So make sure you tune in for that. Go check that out if you have time. Um, and again, just like, share, and follow us. If you see our content, share with your friends, family, coworkers. Uh, we're just trying to grow it here at the Black Agenda Podcast. And so, again, we wish you a well, we'll have another episode. I wish you happy Thanksgiving on Tuesday when we talk about the Black Diet. But for our weekly roundups, we'll be back with you on December 4th. So don't forget, make sure you tune in for that. And so for me and Adrian, we hope you have a great weekend and we'll catch you next time.